Uh, I'm Danny, I'm the children's worker here. It's great to be speaking this evening. Aren't you loving uh, the Seven on the Mount series? We're nearly halfway through the whole, or just over halfway through the whole academic year. Uh, and last week, we just started, Sarah preached, started chapter six, uh, where Jesus is kicking off a little section where he's talking about giving, fasting, and praying. Sarah said last week, and I, I love what she said, this little section that Jesus is honing our attention on. It's all about giving, fasting, and praying. But Jesus wants us to think about what we do when we give, when we pray, when we fast. Is that from a place of intimacy? And is it a place, and is it, are we doing that with an attitude of integrity? Last week was on giving, tonight is on prayer. And in a few weeks' time, on the 31st, we'll be looking at fasting. Um, if you've got your Bibles, there's lots of red Bibles around, grab them. Um, open them up to page 970. If you've got them on your phones, find where you need to get to on your phones. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start to read from verse 5 in just a moment. Now, I've got this evening to talk about prayer. Uh, and as you'll see, when we read it in a moment, um, there's probably the most famous prayer in the whole of the Bible, where yellow pages and yellow pages and yellow pages worth of books have been written on that. And I don't feel I can do justice this evening in the next 25 minutes to talk on that. I'll leave that for another time. We could do a whole sermon series on it. So if you're expecting, as we read this, a sermon on the Lord's Prayer, you can leave now. That's fine. I won't be offended. (laughs) I'm going to be speaking on the first few verses that lead into the Lord's Prayer. So would you read with me? Follow it on the screens. Follow it in your Bibles from verse 5 in Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. I know now I've prayed, but it's always good after we've read scripture and as we're about to think about what it's going to say to us and how it's going to impact us to pray again. So Lord, as I speak, may uh, anything not of you fall away. May your spirit drive into our hearts those things that you want us to change this evening as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 5, and when you pray. Verse 2 and verse 16, in this little section on giving prayer and fasting, Jesus starts with the same type of language and when you pray and when you give and when you fast 
Jesus spoke these words, and he's assuming that those listening to him when he's speaking were indeed giving, fasting, and praying. Jesus wanted to challenge what the Jewish teachers, the Jewish leaders in the synagogues were teaching. They'd reverted to what, was, what God was wanting in the Old Testament, and they, these, these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, they were teaching about religion. It's a way to, to achieve God's grace, as opposed to a way in which we can receive God's grace. I wonder whether that assumption that Jesus had as he spoke these words is true of us here this evening. That we are all here this evening indeed giving, fasting, and praying. Now, if you don't do any of those things, that's okay. My prayer is, as of last week and tonight and in a few weeks' time, that you would discover there's a real joy in giving, fasting, and praying. And if you do do those things, I wonder whether there's an element of which religion has creeped in and you feel like you do those things in order to achieve God's grace and it's the right thing to do because you're a follower of Jesus. Yes, they are the right thing to do, but we're going to address that and Jesus addresses that as he speaks these words to his listeners. Given prayer and fasting, they are all very good spiritual disciplines. Spiritual discipline is a bit of a a Christian jargon term um, that uh, if you've been around church for a while, you might be familiar with what it might mean. Um, In other words, someone used a bike wheel a few years ago to describe to me, to help me understand what spiritual disciplines are and the importance of them. So a bike wheel, you've got the hub. This is where the power comes from. And you've got the spokes, and that is where the the spokes receive the power and transmit it to the rim. The rim, as you can see, is round, and it it enables the wheel to move forward. Now, if you're clever, you're already probably ahead of me. As a Christian, the hub of our existence as followers of Jesus is faith in Christ by the power of the Spirit. And so any spiritual discipline, given fasting and praying, are just three examples. There's lots more. They're opportunities for us to receive God's grace, to transmit that power, to enable us to keep moving forward in our journey to faith. The spokes aren't a way necessarily by which we are connected to God. We're connected to God by faith. We don't have to pray. We don't have to fast, we don't have to give, we get to because of the power, because of what Christ has done and so spiritual disciplines, prayer is one of them, we are united to Christ by faith, so when Jesus says in verse 5, and when you pray, in just a few simple words, Jesus it's not going to fall over Jesus is saying that prayer is a means by which we can receive God's grace every single time we speak to our Heavenly Father. But Jesus warns us, he warns his listeners, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now the hypocrites were those Jewish leaders in the synagogues, the Pharisees. The word hypocrite in the Greek, it literally means act, performance, 
Conscious insincerity, if you want a fancy definition. Now, the, the Pharisees, the hypocrites, as Jesus refers to them, they were the people that loved to act. They loved to stand on the street corners. They loved to stand in the synagogues and be like, look at me. If you act, you want to do it in front of people. If you do it as a performance, you want others to see what you're doing. But they were doing it with insincere motives. And God sees right through it. Truly, Jesus says in verse 5, end of verse 5, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. What's their reward? Well, it's, it's very shallow, but it's the praise of people. That's all they wanted. Look at me. Holy am I. I'm praying. Way. Well done, Joe. You're such a good prayer, mate. Oh, I'm, I know I am. Thank you very much, Joe. That's what the Pharisees were like. I got my names mixed up then. Doesn't matter. Move on. That's what they were wanting. They've received their reward in full. That's, the in, that's with the intention with which they were praying. Are you a hypocrite when you pray? Do you want others to see you when you're praying on your knees and like, follow, yes, Lord. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying on your knees. But God knows and you know that if you're doing that for people to come up to you after and say something, just stop it. Sack it off because God sees your heart. Are you a hypocrite when you pray? Do you act? Do you perform are you after someone coming up to you after, uh, after in the gathering or in your Barnabas community or wherever else you pray? Are you after, are you craving for somebody to come up to you and say, oh, you are such a good prayer? Whatever that means. I wonder whether you even tell people that you pray, but you never actually pray. The problem with hypocrites is they're someone completely different when no one is watching. Who are you when no one's watching? But, but, it's quite possibly one of my favorite words that Jesus uses. He flips it on his head. He does it all the time. But, Jesus says, beginning of verse six, have a look. When you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and, praise to your, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Go into your room and close the door is what God wants. Now we've got to understand that in first century Israel, the people that Jesus was speaking to, they didn't have as big a homes as we might have or we maybe grew up in. They had a very few, few select number of rooms and probably the only room with a door that was lockable in the whole house was the storeroom. And this storeroom had no windows, so no one could see. It was secluded, and so no one would hardly ever come in if you went in there. Jesus is saying, go to that place and pray, because no one can see you, but God can. And that's the place of intimacy that Jesus is getting after. 
Now, Jesus isn't saying that we should never pray in public. We absolutely should. What Jesus is emphasizing is that the priority, in fact, there's a very starting point of where we pray needs to be from a place of intimacy with our Father in heaven. I love what Sarah said last week. Do you remember? If you were here? Secrecy is what cultivates pure motives. Secrecy is what cultivates pure motives. And so the hypocrites, with their impure motives, doing it all in public, look at me, Jesus is saying, no, go to the secret place, the intimate space, where God can churn up, God can cultivate pure motives. The hypocrite receives their reward in full. We saw that in verse 5. But in verse 6, did you notice what it said? Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's no limit that Jesus puts on that. And that's because there's no limit to God's grace. When we start in a place of intimacy, when we pray into our Heavenly Father, the reward that we're going to get will come in many different ways. And that spiritual discipline, that hub, that power with which we can pray, and that ability in which we can receive God's grace, is immeasurable. And it's unexpected. So we've got verse 5 and verse 6, the first little section of this passage. Jesus is drawing a picture of comparison. Spot the difference. Did you see it? I've got a little table here. It's kind of going to come up on the screen. Hypocrites, they want to pray in front of people, but Jesus followers, they want to, Jesus says, pray in secret. Hypocrites pray to be seen, and yet Jesus says, pray to the Father who is unseen. Hypocrites receive their full reward, yet followers of Jesus have received with more to come. There's no limit to it. It's bottomless. So there's some questions for us to think about from verse 5 and 6. When you pray, do you act or do you perform for others? Where is your secret place that no one and nothing can disturb you. When you pray, do you realize that there's a greater reward than you might even have in mind? Now, I'm saying those questions based on the assumption that you pray. Maybe the more pressing question for some people tonight is not when you pray, but do you pray? Do you pray? Verse 5 and 6, Jesus is comparing hypocrites to followers of Jesus. And then he moves on again in verse 7 and verse 8. And he compares pagans to followers of Jesus again. And when you pray, at the start of verse 7, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. 
The pagans that Jesus referring to is the Gentiles, those people who weren't Jews, who were not of God's chosen people back at that time, and who thought by, that by just observing the Jewish people in the synagogues, observing the way that they prayed, these pagans, these Gentiles thought that if they used the same sort of formula, they can invoke the name of God and get God to do whatever they want. Jesus is saying the problem with pagans is they waffle, they babble on, there's nothing to what they say. It's vain words and thoughtless. But then we get to verse 8, and Jesus does it again. Do not be like them. For your father knows. Oh, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Don't be like the pagans, Jesus says, who use lots of words to sort of fill maybe any empty awkwardness. Rather, because your heavenly Father sees everything and knows everything, he knows what you need before you ask him. Now, it's not saying we shouldn't say the same prayers again. Jesus did that himself. Jesus isn't saying either that we shouldn't use set forms of prayer because he just goes on to say this is how you should pray in verse 9. And of course, there are going to be times when in moments of pain and anguish and desperation and grief or whatever else, it will be appropriate and absolutely necessary and the natural thing to do to pray with lots of words. But what Jesus is getting at, what Jesus is trying to address is that when you pray, you don't always need not of words to express what God already knows. Whereas pagans thought more was best, Jesus was saying less is more. Prayer is about thoughtful, thoughtful quality rather than thoughtless quantity. And by quality, I'm not talking about rating one another's prayers after you've prayed. Oh, that's a, that's a six out of ten prayer right there. That's, oh no, that's only a two. Oh, that's a ten. That's an absolute cracker of a prayer. That's not what I mean by quality. Remember what Jesus has said a few verses earlier. The quality of our prayers is only measured between you and God. And God sees our hearts and he knows from the place of which we pray. He knows our motives. And you do as well, whether that's in public or in private. So, I mean, I've got some weights. Um, thank you, James, for these. Um, let me give you an example of the difference between thoughtful quality and thoughtless quantity is. I used to do a lot of um, athletics when I was growing up as a teenager. Um, and we just used to go do weight training and lots of the, the, the different exercises. My coach, Graham, even to this day when I still do these exercises, I hear his voice in my head. Um, if you last, because maybe you've got a, a sports coach that you maybe um, you can remember doing that too. But basically, Graham would say, I'd rather you do less and do it right than do lots and do it wrong. For different exercises, whether that's bicep curls, whether that was squats, 
whether it was running, sprinting, up and down sand dunes, I'd rather you do less and do it right than do lots and do it wrong. So if you've ever been to a gym, you might see those people who were just like, yeah, look at me, way, and just like chatting to their mate, like, come on, look at this. Yeah, yeah. And then like throwing their arms everywhere. That right there is thoughtless quantity. They're not only not thinking about what they're doing, they're actually at risk of injuring themselves. But rather, when you think about what you're doing, you can actually bear more weight. Thoughtful quality. Quality of what you do. And so prayer shouldn't be like, when we pray, it shouldn't be like, Whoa, look at me, going everywhere, look at this. It's about quality. Is what you're saying coming from the right place? Because actually when you do that, when that's coming from the right place, you can actually bear more and you can strengthen. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a biological fact. When you, when you do more, you can actually strengthen your muscles quicker. And so prayer is like a spiritual muscle for us. There's lots of different exercises in the gym. And so when we pray... We're exercising our spiritual muscles. We're receiving God's grace from the center of the hub with the power at work in us so that we can, as our whole being, the rim of this wheel, we can be Jesus to our friends and our family. Words fill up space, but they're not always the measure of what's going on in our heart and the devotion of our heart. So do you waffle when you pray? Do you simply just try and fill in the gap that maybe you're, you're in that group of people that you're praying with? And you've got no idea what you're saying. Words are coming out and you're just doing it. I've done it. Do you think to yourself, I'm going to pray for 30 seconds now because that person just prayed for 20 seconds and I'm a better prayer than them. I've done it. There's a few smiles, which to me indicates many other people in this room have done the same. Prayer is not a technique. It's not a performance. It's not an act. It's not an opportunity to show off. Prayer is about an intimate relationship with our Father in heaven. And it's exactly this specific relationship upon which is markedly different to the pagans and the hypocrites. There's no reference to a heavenly Father when Jesus talks about them. And yet when Jesus is saying, spot the difference between Jesus' followers and hypocrites and pagans, Father is mentioned. And when you pray, pray to your Father and when you pray, pray to your Father. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, pray to the Father in heaven who knows and sees everything. Jesus is assuming that we have, as followers of Jesus, as followers of him, an intimate relationship with God. 
a relationship where we're both dependent on him and affectionate for more of his grace in our lives. Now, our dependency on God as Father might admittedly be for some people in this room this evening very hard to get their head around, quite simply because of their own experience of a father. You may have had a horrible, you may have had a horrific, even distorted experience of what a father is like. And if that's you this evening, and you struggle with even the slightest suggestion of God being your father, because what your father on earth has said or hasn't said, has done or hasn't done, that has hurt you and has scarred you and is sitting with you even this day, every single day you wake up. If that's you this evening, please hear this. Everything of your imperfection and all that bad stuff that your father is, God is infinitely perfect in all those respects. And for all those things that your father may well be good at and that you admire, God is also infinitely perfect. God is the perfect version of the dad that you may always have wanted. God is infinitely perfect. He's infinitely in love with you and he wants the absolute best for you. He not only wants us to pray to him, he not only wants us to spend time with him, he wants us to be dependent on him for every single thing, every need, because he sees it all before we even ask. I'm coming into land in a few minutes. As I said, I haven't got time to go in this evening to unpack verses 9 to 13, the Lord's Prayer. If you want something to ponder on this next week, as you read these verses in verse 9 to 13, I would say, broadly speaking, a split into two sections. Verses 9 to 11 is concerned about God's glory. And verses 11 to 13 is concerned primarily about our needs. And what Jesus says is, it's always God's glory before our needs. God's glory before our own needs. Sarah quoted John Piper last week, and I'll do the same tonight, because it's, it's, a, it's a very apt quote for this little section we're in in Matthew. God, says John Piper, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And when you pray, Jesus says, go into your room, go to that intimate space. Go to that space where no one can disturb you and no one can see. That's the space in which you'll be most satisfied. And from that place, God will be most glorified. So tonight, as I close, what's, been God, what's God been saying to you this evening? Is it this wheel you've got your different spiritual disciplines giving, fasting, praying or think about fasting in a couple of weeks is it that you know you've got some spokes in place they're slightly out of tune 
It's wobbling. That's what happens when you get a wobbly, uh, out-of-tune spokes. And you maybe need to think, realize and re- remember that the spokes are a way to receive the power as, as opposed to achieving and giving the power from the hub. Is it that in some way you know you're a hypocrite? That you've not been spending time in secret even though you've been given off the impression to those around you? Is it that you know you use too many words far too often when you pray with people? And you're just praying empty, thoughtless prayers? Or is it if it's that last thing I said about our God as our Heavenly Father, is it that you need to receive that this evening with God as your infinitely perfect Father who loves you so dearly? Prayer's not about performance in front of others. It's not about lots of words. It's not about a way to earn God's love or God's grace. We get to pray And we get to do that in a space of intimacy and in proximity to our Heavenly Father. Prayer's about the depths of our words. Prayer's an opportunity for us to receive God's grace. Prayer's a gift. Prayer's a privilege. Prayer's about seeking God's presence. And prayer is primarily about God's glory before our needs. So let's take a moment in the silence and process all that I've been saying. I've said lots. I said there might just be one thing. There might be several things. That's okay. What's God saying this evening?